You're listening to the 405 Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and this is a special episode about setless for young voices. On this episode, I talked to one of the founders of the initiative, Dave Eggers. He's a writer best known for his best-selling memoir, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius, and as the founder of the acclaimed literary journal, McSweeney's. Throughout this talk, we go into the inception of Setlist for Young Voices, which is a fundraiser that will benefit youth writing and activism centers such as London's Ministry of Stories and the International Congress of Youth Voices, which will be gathering in San Juan, Puerto Rico this month. Before we go into this talk, make note to check out youthwriting.org bid for the auctioning of set lists by artists such as R.E.M., Nine Schnails, Patti Smith, Janelle Monet, Wilco, and many more. The auction starts now on April 22nd and ends at 7 p.m. Pacific on May 2nd. This is the 405 Exchange with Dave Eggers of Set List for Young Voices. Enjoy. So, Dave, hello. Hi. Hi. Um, so, it's always helpful to go back to the beginning, and with a project so specific as to this one, I'd say that's doubly helpful. Um, there'll be an intro to this, but let's go into setlist in general, in a very general sense. Uh, when did you recognize how important setlist can be for some people? I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I never really thought about them too much. Outside of, um, I don't know, having tried to to make away with a, a few of them when I was in college and seeing bands in small venues. But um, since then, I hadn't given it a lot of thought until Nick Hornby suggested an idea, which was to, you know, collect an auction offset list for our uh, our literacy nonprofits. And um, at that point... It just occurred to me that it was such a perfect idea because there's so few other sort of intimate ways to interact with bands and musicians that you admire. Um, they're usually at at a much greater distance than you know an author, for example, who were very easy to find and easy to chat up at a bookstore. But musicians, there's we're usually 500 feet away from them, and you don't get stuff signed by them after the show. Yeah. Exactly. And, uh, you know, with you saying that, I'd love to hear you go a little bit more into your own connection with music and the way it's played a role in your life. You kind of mentioned um, going to shows when you're in college. So can you talk about how, like, live music has played a role in your life? Well, I <clears throat> I was a music writer in college, so I my job for a couple of years was really to see... I mean, I probably went to four shows a, a week for couple of years there and um and uh, and then after college uh, I wrote about music on and off for some years and had a column and spin for a little while and um I think through that and other ways I got to know a handful of musicians and I've just been um it's the sort of the art form that I that has the most uh profound daily effect on me uh which I know nothing about 
I mean, I, <laughs> I read all the time, but I know how to, I know how books are made, but when it comes to, uh, music, I don't know the first thing about it. I don't know one note. I, uh, can't play anything. I, uh, don't know how a song is written. Um, and, uh, and I think that that sort of, that kind of pure ignorance, um, allows me to be an unmitigated fan and, and I am able to keep it very simple. And so, uh, I, um, you know, I, I I never want to really actually break it down and understand it better because I, I don't want to be able to dissect music the way I can other art forms that I know more about. Um, so I, uh, you know, this is actually the sort of, you know, the idea of collecting set lists is probably the most uh, behind the scenes uh, I've ever been uh, in a way. I mean, I don't know anything about how an amp is set up or <laughs> what wires connect to what or uh, anything like that. But this is a little bit of a peek uh, behind the scenes where you can see, yeah. um, you know, in some cases crossed out songs and added songs and, reordered things and um i'm sort of you know i i, I like that little bit of uh, being able to see kind of the, the process of uh, uh uh the creation of a show i really love everything you said there and um i feel like um almost a bit like a kindred spirit with you in some regards and how you put that because i think something that gets underscored in regards to music when you have that pure ignorance to how it's made. I share that with you. I very much am quite ignorant to how music is made as well. There is a sense of just seeing it as magic. And I think that's something that's very um, palpable and relatable to a lot of people, which definitely makes uh, this uh, initiative that you're doing stands out. It, it helps it stand out a lot to me in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm glad. I, uh, I went and saw a show in a, actually a converted chicken barn um, up in Sebastopol uh, a couple of days ago, and a friend of mine came out from Wisconsin, and he played with about five local musicians, and they'd never met. And they were able to kind of get in sync with no rehearsal and play a bunch of old and new songs with uh, and do solos and all this stuff and make it sound like they'd been you know, together for 20 years. And I don't know if there's anything like that. There's really no art form, I think, that has that kind of fluidity and sort of that <clears throat> uh, where you have a bunch of musicians that can just fall in together and kind of make something beautiful. Um, it's uh, there's, there's nothing like it. And I, I you know, I, that, that magic or whatever you uh, want to call it is one of the things I... I appreciate so much about it and I don't want to even know how it happens or how it works or how to, how it is that they can do these things. Yeah, that's really a beautiful thing. So let's go into the auction and that you'll be doing. Uh, by the time this goes up, the auction will be live and um, the link for it will be mentioned within um, the text and also the intro, but I'll just say it again, that the auction is accessible via youthwriting.org slash bid. Uh, when the information of this was sent to me, I truly found myself delighted at it, especially because it's something that makes so much sense to me, but not in an obvious uh, sense. And I'm kind of curious to know what those initial ideas between you and Nick and um, your other collaborator, uh, what it was like bringing this idea to life and what even sparked the idea in itself. 
Well, I, you know, Nick just, I think his first email to me was just one line. And he just said, what if we auctioned off set lists? And, um, and it, it, it hasn't become any more complicated than that, which is kind of nice. It's, uh, it, it made perfect sense to me. And, um, and then he started asking friends, people that he knew, or maybe musicians that he admired. And I think one of the first ones that came in was, uh, uh, the pretenders, uh, they sent a few both signed by Chrissy Hind. Uh, they came in from an envelope from Paris and, um, and then Amy Mann sent one and, uh, you know, they lumineers, I think. And then it just started sort of snowballing and, um, you know, each one of them was so distinct and you realize that there's no sort of regular format. Like each one is so expressive of that particular musician. And, um, you know, Andrew Bird drew on his and then REM had like little running commentary on theirs where they sort of joke about the show, uh, (laughs) after the fact. And, um, you know, I, they're, they're so, uh, specific and so personal, um, that, um, they, they, they were far more idiosyncratic and individualized than I thought that they would be. I thought there was maybe some sort of style that they all adhered to at, at least a little bit, like that all the lettering had to be big and bold, uh, to see while you're on stage or. I don't know what, but no two of them look even remotely alike, which is kind of cool. And, um, uh, and some of them have tape on them still and others are kind of beat up and, uh, <clears throat> Patty Smith's are all handwritten and, uh, you know, in sort of a calligraphy almost. So, um, that, that I think is really kind of, uh, 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 gratifying to know that every one of these musicians is just as individual, you know, just as uh, uh, nonconformist, I guess, as that you'd, that you'd want them to be. And every one of them uh, uh, tells a story in a way. And, you know, there's not too many things that you can own that have a musician's signature on it. You know, they, you don't get a book signed by uh, um, Patty Smith. Well, you could, I was going to say Patty Smith, but of course she does have books. Um, but, you know, some of these other guys, that uh, you don't have that opportunity. You don't wait after the show and get your record signed. Um, it's not the same thing. And so this is one of the few places where you could have owned some, uh, like a, a very one-of-a-kind artifact of a, of a night. That's incredible. And, um, you know, what was a, I'm really curious to know, what would you say was a surprising logistical element towards making this work in regards to having the artists actually send over their set list? I mean, you mentioned how Chrissy Hine uh, sent you some set list from Paris. I imagine uh, coordinating all that must have been a pretty interesting experience. Well, you know what it is? It's, it's, it's simple in that you sort of get the word out through them or their manager that, you know, we would welcome uh, having a set list from them. And um, and then it's a matter of, like, do they save them? And some bands just don't save them. And uh, and do they 
you know, keep them stored somewhere accessible or are they in, you know, a storage unit in Nova Scotia? And, uh, and then, you know, it took, it took REM, I think probably five weeks to get all four members, uh, signatures on a set list from 1989 because they're not all roommates right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, they have disbanded. And so, that had to be sent around over the course of many weeks. And so it was really, but you know, outside of that, these are just pieces of paper in the mail. And so, um, as logistics go for a fundraiser, it's been very lo-fi and very, uh, just kind of, uh, uh, fun to just see what envelope will come through next. We're waiting for Janelle Monet's uh, set list from Coachella just happened and so we have a few more coming through we just today uh got connected with chuck d's manager who is going to try to find something and so um these uh i think and i think once the auction goes live we'll probably hear from people that uh we didn't you know didn't know how to contact but maybe they'll jump jump in for next year but you know i i love these um just using the U S postal service, you know, like these kinds of extremely simple, uh, uh, lo-fi ways to raise a, a dollar or two. And, uh, especially, um, in this case, everything about it is just tactile, you know, the, the tape and the, <laughs> the piece of paper that's been used on an actual stage and maybe stepped on once or twice. And then that gets put into a nine by 12 envelope and that gets sent to us. And, Eventually, the uh, winner of that auction will be able to keep that actual object in their house. And um, so there's something kind of old school, old world about the whole thing that I appreciate as a Luddite. Yeah, I mean, that must be, I'm trying to, I can't, I don't know if I can think of a better word, but there must be something quite refreshing and being able to have something be so simple in like uh, today's age. I mean, obviously, things move at such a quick pace and everything's so digital, but to be able to utilize the postal service, like you said, and have things just be so simplified. That sounds just really nice, honestly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it could, it would be hot, tough to put on something like this without the internet, and, you know, we're using an eBay uh, channel to, to for the auction, and we're trying, you know, hoping that its bidders will come from all over the world, and so it's kind of a hybrid in a way, but, but, um, but yeah, ultimately... Especially now, you don't, you know, people really don't buy CDs anymore. They buy records a little bit, but the vast majority of the market for music now is, uh, you know, just streaming. And so you, you don't really have a whole lot to hold on to. You know, we used to always, you know, pour over the records and the liner notes and have that kind of physical connection while we were listening to music. And now we just have live music, which is also ephemeral. Um, so maybe this is the last, you know, artifact that we, you know, that you really have access to is, uh, is this piece of paper, um, evidence of a moment and signed by all the principals and, um, and sometimes, you know, just full of personality and, um, and, uh, you know, when they doodle on these things and they spill something on them and date it and uh, maybe write a note and uh, or in Patty Smith's case, 
all of hers are written on different uh, letterheads from different hotels in Europe. You know, I mean, these are really highly, uh, um, they're just full of um, nuance and they're enigmatic and they're, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're just dense with personality. I love hearing that. Um, I'm really curious to know, how did you find yourselves involved with both um, the International Congress of Youth Voices and uh, the Ministry of Stories? I'd love to hear how that kind of happened. Well, um, you know, this all started with a center here in San Francisco called 826 Valencia, and it's a nonprofit writing and tutoring center that I started uh, with a friend, Nineveh Caligari, in uh, 2002. And there was a need for one-on-one attention uh, for students falling behind in their uh, writing and, and reading. And um, it served mostly kids from uh, Spanish-speaking homes, kids who are English language learners. And um, it, you know, it was very successful here and, and started growing uh, around the country. So there's one out there in New York and one in L.A. and center in uh Detroit and the center in Chicago and Boston and 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 pretty soon uh, Nick Hornby and some friends in London thought that there should be a center like that there so he started the Ministry of Stories with a few other colleagues uh, which is the same thing the writing and tutoring and publishing center for kids and now there's about <clears throat> 60 centers around the world that sort of share the same mission. And we decided to take a few students from each center and bring them together in what we call the International Congress of Youth Voices. So young teen activist writers met up here for a weekend and got to hear from, you know, meet Chimamanda Adichie and Jose Antonio Vargas and Congressman John Lewis and Khaled Husseini and others. And, and they got to meet each other and sort of you know, draw strength from each other and find their tribe and, you know, get to meet other gifted young writers and future leaders. And um, we're going to have the second International Congress this summer in Puerto Rico. So when Nick had the idea, I thought, well, you know, let's let's split the money between the Ministry of Stories in London and uh, the International Congress of Youth Voices, which you know, we're still trying to raise money to make sure that all the students that want to come um, can get on planes and and uh, and come out and uh, and join the event. So both of them are sort of uh, projects that we that uh, we created to empower young voices. I mean, that has to be. I mean, it's empowering with the work you're doing in itself, but it also has to be really special that you get to work with someone like Nick, who we obviously uh, share an affinity with, and especially in regards to the work you're doing. I mean, that this is all such a truly special... I, you couldn't ask for a better story in a lot of ways. Well, Nick has been, you know, my guide in a lot of ways. Before he started the Ministry of Stories, he helped start a school for autistic uh, young people in London called Treehouse, and he edited a book of short stories called uh, Speaking with the Angel. All A bunch of contemporary writers wrote short stories and put them in this book, original stories. And 
and then that book was sold and all the money went to the school and that sort of became a a model in my head for you know how do you have people at large contribute to a cause by you know buying a book so in that case buying a book helps helps uh grow a school so you can't get more pure i think in terms of like the, the mission and the execution of that mission and the advancing of it is that, you know, if you can help a school by buying a book, it, it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, a pretty, uh, straight through line there. Um, and so we've done a lot of benefit books over the years, similar kind of thing. And, and, um, I, uh, I thought this, we, and a lot of these musicians like Amy Mann in particular and Death Cab for Cutie have played at a number of our shows over the years, benefit concerts that we have. And, um, Andrew Bird has done, you know, has donated his time and tickets to concerts. So, so many of these people have helped us along the way. And, um, we find that there's just so much overlap between the mission of these centers, to giving young people voice and, you know, these musicians who, in so many ways, uh, you know, are, are people of the word and um, um, wouldn't be where they are unless they had found their own voices. And so um, uh, they've, you know, no one said no. Everybody that we get a hold of, if they can find a, a set list and send it within a few days, it's, it's kind of incredible um, that, uh, you know, to see... Patty Smith, I think she said five, you know, and these things are sort of works of art, and but she just sent them without even uh, okay. uh, any hesitation. So it all kind of connects. I think it's sort of nice when uh, it's not like we're selling, uh, you know, fried pickles um, to benefit um, the centers, although we would, but I like this kind of uh, the proximity of, of music to, to writing and how they cross pollinate. Yeah, honestly, that really does ring true to me. I have only just a handful of questions for you left, uh, but thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Um, Sure. Yeah, you know, I imagine from the longevity of your career, you've had the fortune of working alongside uh, various charities and fundraisers over the years. And when I knew I was going to be talking to you, I found myself thinking about that and the functionalities within that world. And it just led me to wonder in regards to you, what do you think is an important aspect of... um, fundraisers such as these that tend to get overlooked? Um, you're asking which, what about the fundraisers gets overlooked? Yeah. In, in, I guess in regards to being in the back end of them, like working within them. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if anything does get overlooked. I think that the main, the main thing for us that tr- spend so much of our lives trying to raise money is making sure that that fundraiser is actually taking home um, a a net profit, I guess, that can be uh, used by the nonprofit. I mean, there are many stories of uh, nonprofits or causes that have put on giant fundraising concerts, for example, and they find out that the costs of those are so high that by the end of the day, when they've calculated all of their their uh, expenses, they realize they've lost money, <laughs> or they've 
just barely broken even or maybe raised a few dollars. And so I've learned in 17 years of doing these events and fundraisers that you have to really go into it very, um, with a very cold eye about, um, making sure that, um, that it will be worth, uh, everyone's time and that, uh, you'll actually, uh, you know, there'll be actually net benefit for the, non- the nonprofit because, um, you know, it takes staff time and it takes everyone's time and it's a lot of goodwill that you're using, um, and harnessing. And so, you know, I think that in this case, there's no overhead, which is really nice. There's n- there's no, uh, there's nobody being paid. There's nobody, there's no, uh, middleman. There's no, uh, there's nothing. So it's just pieces of paper that we auction off and eBay's uh, services are free. And then when you order it, you, you know, you get part of a tax deduction. Um, and then you, uh, you get it in the mail. I mean, that's it. So it's, our expenses are no greater than the cost of the stamps. So I think, for any, you know, anyone out there trying to raise money for a cause, like just make sure that uh, it's one thing to put on a big show, but you know, the real importance is to give actual funds to the nonprofit and the staff of the nonprofit so that they can do their work. And um, that sometimes takes a cold, realistic uh uh, cold realism, I guess, to realize like, well, it's very nice to, to do this or that kind of, uh, event. Is it really going to help in the end? And, uh, ultimately what all the nonprofits need more than anything is money. They need money to pay their staffs and they need money to provide services, buy mosquito nets, provide college scholarships, you know, buy food for those that need it for the hungry. And, uh, so, what we can all do to help any member of the nonprofit world is just is give them money. <laughs> they know how to use it. They're going to use it well. And um, so, you know, that to that end, you know, obviously if anybody hears about International Congress or the Ministry of Stories or 826 Valencia or any of the other centers through this and they just want to donate to a local center, that's also Great. And donations above the cost of the set list are, are definitely accepted. <laughs> well, that's really good to know. I really do appreciate it on that insight because I mean, something I'm always fascinated by is being able to get an insight in worlds that I know so little about. So I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go here, uh, I just want, I mean, I was going to ask you in regards to uh, the money being utilized, how that would be utilized. You touched on that with... Um, that aspect of airfare and make sure everyone could attend uh, this event coming up in Puerto Rico. So I guess my next question shifting off of that would be when it comes to that event that's coming up, uh, what do you find yourself the most excited about in regards to that? Cause I mean, that sounds like it's going to be a very special type of thing to experience. Yeah. It's, um, you know, the first one that we had last summer in San Francisco was one of my favorite weekends of my life. And, um, because I'd, I'd met a lot of these students um, from Chicago to Melbourne to Stockholm to, uh, you know, students all over the, the United States. And to see them all in one place, there were about 100 students, um, 
and just to see how quickly they recognized uh, something in each other. That's like, wow, you, these are all, you know, um, born leaders, writers, um, people dedicated to social justice at a very young age, really bursting with idealism and a kind of clarity of heart and purity of, you know, sort of moral intent. Um, it, uh, it was, um, just incredibly inspiring. And then, um, this coming year, all of the first year Congress delegates are invited back and most of them are coming back and then we'll welcome a whole second class. So it'll be about double the size, about 200 students and, in Puerto Rico, where I've never been, but one of our delegates is from there, um, young man named Salvador. He, uh, will be 16 this summer and the kids will all meet and they'll do workshops together and learn from mentors and, um, but they'll also do some service and, um, get out into, um, Puerto Rico and hear about what's been going on in the country after Hurricane Maria, what their challenges are what's next. Um, they get to visit schools and, uh, and ideally be useful, uh, while they're there. We have 200 young people with, you know, two arms and two legs who want to help. So we're, uh, I'm sure that they will be, um, made useful while they're there. And, you know, there's not too many people holding large gatherings in Puerto Rico, uh, these days, I think the average convention or, uh, retreat or whatever thinks is not aware that Puerto Rico is open for business and very much needs as many visitors as possible. So uh, we're happy to do it there, and I can't wait uh, to see our, this gathering double in size and be in a place that really needs uh, a spark of hope uh, that, that a group of young people like this will provide. Yeah, well, I definitely can't wait to hear about it. Uh, Dave, thanks so much for your time, honestly. Thanks so much for opening up and sharing all the info. And um, yeah, I'm really keen for people to dig into this. Like, this is really something special. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time and uh, spreading the word. And uh, hope you bid on something and get lucky. Yeah, wish me luck in that front, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 